I ran across a stat that said 70-75% of our kids who are part of a strong, notice it's strong evangelical church, it's not a weak one, it's not like they're loosely affiliated, it's somebody that really believes the gospel, but it says a strong evangelical church will leave the church in any connection to Christ from the ages of 18 to 29. 70 to 75%, 7 out of 10. That is a huge loss. And that kind of started forming, just kind of percolating in my heart as I was saying, God, what can we do? How, what's the call? What, what do we need to be doing as a church and, and as Valerie and I and the youth leaders? How can we make a difference in this particular thing? And, and so that's kind of when I came to this, this thought and God kind of gave me a, a kind of a goal or a vision for our youth and a mission kind of with it. And it's encouraging students to own their faith, passionately worship, and live in healthy relationships I can just kind of break that down real quick for us. I'm hoping and praying and believing that if students own their faith, and as we as a church own our faith, that means take responsibility for, do something with, actively pursue something, right? If we own it, it's entrusted to us. It's not our mom and dad's faith. It's not the thing that I've been doing ever since I was a kid, but it's my own personal faith. And that's kind of what we're trying to impart to our teenagers today as we, as we work with them and passionately worship. This is not just about singing songs. But this is about actively pursuing God and being a part of what God's kingdom is doing and what he wants. And then to live in healthy relationships, right? Because our God is a God about relationships. Him to the Father, Jesus to the Father, to each other in the church, to our spouses, to our friends, to the community around us, right? It's all about relationships. And so we're kind of focusing our structure of what we're doing to hopefully break that statistic of 70 to 75% of them falling away by the time that they're 18 to 29 years old. And, uh, and I know today is a, uh, a teens graduating, and, and I've got a story I'm going to kind of lead with. Uh, I did this in fourth grade. And uh, how many went to, like, the same elementary school, like, their whole time growing up? Has anyone else lived in a community like that? Because I, I started in this Round Lake Beach, Illinois, and I went from kindergarten all the way to high school with the same kids. The whole way through, it's kind of this group of kids that we kind of went through. But Ellis was my elementary school, and we were the Ellis Crows. How's that for a scary name? The crows are going to get you. Anyways, Ellis Crows, and I was in fourth grade, and I'm sitting in Mrs. Adams' class. And Mrs. Adams' class is it's a normal desk, you know, the small kid desk, the big teacher desk in the front. We had these really cool windows that were kid height on the side, so if you were an adult, you really couldn't see out of them. But when you're sitting at the desk, it was so nice, I could see out the side of these windows. And it was a, kind of a prairie field, then it led to the water septic sewage place for the city. Um, but the field was nice, and I remember looking out there and listening to Mrs. Adams talk about the Constitution. We were studying the Constitution, we were talking about our freedom, and this is where we're at with our teens. They're getting ready to get their freedom and their independence, right? And so we were talking about the Constitution, and, and I was just kind of listening, looking out the window, and all of a sudden, Mrs. Adams called me out. And she said, Mr. Capelli, could you please spit out your gum? Now, how many remember that, I don't do they still do this? Is it still wrong to chew gum in class? It's still wrong? Okay, well, they called me out on that, and I, have, I don't know about you guys, but I've always thought that that was the dumbest rule. Even in fourth grade, I'm thinking, what? This, I can chew gum. I'm a responsible citizen. Right? Anybody can chew gum. And so I was like, oh. well, I thought I was going to take one for the team. And so I told Mrs. Adams, I said, Mrs. Adams, I have right to chew gum in America if I want to. It's a free country. 
I thought it was obvious. That's what we were studying, freedom. <laughs> Miss Adams looks at me and she says, Mr. Capelli, please stand up. I, I didn't hear you. Could you please repeat that? <laughs> I'm thinking, okay, well, I'm getting a little nervous because, you know, what's going on here? Uh, this is freedom and, and I'm going to stand up for it. And my fourth grade mind, I started getting my courage together. I'm like, I'm going to do this again. And I stood up and I said, Mrs. Adams, it's a free country and I have the right to chew gum if I want to. And it didn't quite go the way that I thought it was going to. In my mind, my fourth grade mind, I started kind of picturing like flags in the background waving, <laughs> epic music playing, right? I was picturing people rallying to the cry, right? They would, I would do a chant maybe like, what do we want? And they would all yell, gum, right? What do we want it? Now, what do we want? When do we want it? What do we want? What do we want it now? And I was going to get a, this speech that you give, like you see in the movies, right? And we're going to go and we're going to fight against the tyranny of the teachers and the principals, and we're going to stand for our freedom. Class, rise with me if you're tired of this being pushed down and can't chew gum anymore. It didn't go that way. So, Mrs. Adams looked at me, and she said to me, she said, Mike, you can either put the gum on your nose, or you can go down to the principal's office. Well, I'm not going to put the gum on my nose, right? I mean, who would do that? You look stupid. You got the gum sticking on your nose. All your friends are looking at you because you're standing there. This is America. We need to stand up. I'm not going to put the gum on my nose. And yes, you could do that back then, teenagers. It was, it was a thing that teachers were allowed to do. They were allowed to humiliate you. That'd be a lawsuit today. But back then, that was very permissible. And, uh, and so I said, Mrs. Adams, I'm going to go down to the principal's office. I was rationally reasoning again, right? I was going, this is America. Obviously, the principal's a patriot. He's going to know the Constitution better than Mrs. Adams. I will simply explain to him this is my chance to stand in front of the leadership of the school and actually change this ridiculous rule. So I head down to the principal's office and sitting outside his office for five, ten minutes, and I get in there and all these, it seems like a big desk when you're a kid. I'm looking up at the big desk, and he's got the paddle on the wall. Yep, that was a thing back then. They could actually paddle you. It was at the end of that time, but they, they could actually do it, and he chose not to. He says, Mr. Capella, I'm not going to do that this time. I'm thinking, what did I do wrong? I'm not doing anything wrong. And he said, what I'm going to do is I'm going to have your dad come down and maybe your dad could help out in this situation. And I'm going, okay. Now I'm really getting kind of nervous because it's not that my dad wasn't a patriot either. Like he was an American citizen. He's going to get that part. He just wasn't very fond of gum. And I'm thinking, oh, this is not going to probably end well. And so I... Uh, my dad comes and he has this conversation with the principal and we talk it out and he takes me home and uh, he proceeded to teach me about freedom as he took away every right and privilege I had for two weeks. The only punishment that's ever lasted my entire teen or elementary kid life, right? Two weeks. Like usually your parents let you off good because it's actually harder for them to ground you than it is for you to be grounded sometimes. And so I was grounded two weeks. I had to come right home from school go right to my bed, and then I had to eat dinner in bed, do all my homework in bed, and I had to stay in bed, sleep, get up, go to school the next day. And it's two weeks. 
It was crazy. I was like, I, I don't think it deserved that much. But I learned a very valuable lesson. Is I had lots of time to think. This was pre-cell phone. I couldn't even sneak my cell phone out and play games or anything. It was, it was horrible. Um, you know what I learned in that process? And what I want to pass on to our graduating teens, and obviously you guys here today, is true freedom is given only by the Father. My dad was the only one in that case that really knew the freedom and the constructs of what it should be in and how it should look and how it should feel and what was good for my character and what was good for going forward. True freedom is given only by the Father. And as you teens are getting ready to have your freedom to get out on your own and have a little independence, what will that mean to you? What does that freedom look like? Is it the ability to think and act as you see fit? To do what you want, when you want to, how you want to? Does it mean not being subjected to an authority or external agent? Is that what freedom is? Is it the ability to have choices or to choose? Is that freedom? What is freedom? And then I ask the question, as Christians, can we truly be free? Are we really free ever? Maybe that's part of a myth that we all buy into, right? We all buy into the myth that uh, when we're free, we get to do whatever we want. Yet, I think I've learned in my life, and I think most adults would agree with this, we're always kind of in control of something or someone, right? If it's not a government, it's your boss. If it's not your boss and you own your own business, it's your customers. They kind of dictate sometimes what's going to happen and what they want, and you have to kind of go to their needs, right? You have, to, you have to move, otherwise you're going to lose their business. We all have this thought that we are free. We can do whatever we want, but we really can't. In this life, we will serve someone or something. You will serve someone or something in this life. So what does freedom mean? What does that look like? This is interesting. Think about the Israelites. They were slaves in Egypt for 400 years plus maybe. They're in Egypt. They're under all the slavery. They've got it really bad, right? They come out of Egypt, and what's the first thing that God does? Takes them to Mount Sinai, right? And what happens at Mount Sinai? Did he set them free? Yoo-hoo, do what you want. You guys, you guys, just, you're free. Celebrate. Nope. He gave him 613 laws and 10 commandments. That was freedom. That was freedom for the Israelites. And we often think we want freedom. And that means as we get to do what we want, and our freedom means as Christians, we get to go participate in this and this, and it doesn't matter because we're free. We have that liberty. But I challenge that and say, really? What does God give us in freedom, and what does that mean? In the scripture, John chapter 8, verse 31, it says, To the Jews who had believed him, Jesus said, If you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. They answered him, We are Abraham's descendants and have never been slaves of anyone. How can you then say that we are free? I have to stop there a second, because when I was reading this the first time, I was like, they're delusional. This is the Israelites. We have never, we have never been slaves. They were slaves in Egypt. They were slaves at this current moment underneath the Roman Empire. What do you mean you have never been slaves? And I think that's something that we often think of in our minds, isn't it? 
We're free. We're not really slaves. I can, I can handle this. I can do what I need to. I can do what I want. I'm not really a slave. And we need not be delusional like the Israelites on this thing. And Jesus replied, Very truly, I tell you, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. He goes on and takes it a step further. He says, not only do you not know that you're not free, but here you're a slave to the sin that you guys keep doing. And I don't know about you guys, but I don't think there's anyone in this room who hasn't sinned, right? We all know that. And are we slaves to those sins? Are we free in that uh, freedom that Christ gives, right? We know easy sins that, uh, sins that enslave sexual morality, drunkenness, smoking, gambling, alcohol, and drugs, right? Those are kind of the easy ones that we can pull out. I think some of us may deal with other ones. False beliefs. What about lying? Laziness? God talks about all these in his Bible. Profanity, out-of-control emotions, anger, fear, guilt, jealousy, worry, prejudice, bitterness, unforgiveness, insecurity. I think they kind of cover it all, don't they? The Bible kind of covers it all and says, hey, I know what's controlling your guys' life, and I know how to give you release and freedom from those things. So you truly are free. Professor Mark Skinner put it this way. He says, the repetition of freedom in American politics makes it difficult to distinguish among various kinds of freedoms. To say Jesus brings freedom implies that people live in slavery, and we do not like to hear that we are enslaved in any way. So much of our modern lives try to reassure us that we are or should be free from any constraints. We aspire to self-realization, self-actualization, self-sufficiency. We perpetuate myths that we are at the mercy of no forces that we cannot control. These are not necessarily the same things as sin, but they bring us up, um, but they bring up ways in which we resist God and really need a liberator. We don't like to be told that we're sinners. We don't like to be told that things aren't, that you're not living a godly life, right? When I bring up those sins, the reason I read them is everyone goes, ooh, he's like, he's talking about this stuff. It's, it's kind of scary. I don't like to hear about that kind of stuff. I don't like people pointing a finger at me and saying, you know, Mike, you kind of got this little pride thing going on there. I don't want to hear that. Why? Because that means I have to come under the submission and control of, of God my Father or that sin, either one, someone or something will control us. The verse goes on to say in verse 35, he says, uh, Now a slave has no permanent place in the family, but a son belongs in it forever. So if the son sets you free, you are free indeed. And I started thinking about this when he was talking about this verse. What does it mean? The teachings that you hold to. That's what he says in verse 31. If you hold to my teachings, what are some of those teachings and what does it mean to be set free by Christ? The first thing it is, it's freedom from death and the devil. Hebrews 2.14 says this, Therefore, since the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise, who also partook of the same, that through death he might render powerless him who had the power of death, that is the devil. 1 Corinthians 5.15.55-57 uh, says, Where old death is your victory, where old death is your sting, the sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law, but thanks be to God, he has given us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. What is true freedom? When we accept Jesus Christ and we submit to him, we have the freedom to not die. We have resurrection in our future. We have freedom over the devil. He no longer has a grip or a hold on our life. We're not subjected to him anymore. 
we get to serve God in the freedom that he brings, which is no death. As the song was singing here in the last song, no death, not only that, but no pain. Wiping away the tears. Those are things that God brings in his freedom when we submit to that. Secondly, freedom. Uh, it's freedom from the bondage of sin. Galatians 5.13 says, You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge in the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. And 2 Corinthians 3.17 says, Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Freedom in Christ, when we submit, is that ability that he gives us through the power of his Holy Spirit to overcome. We don't have to be addicted to anything. And I'm not just talking drugs and alcohol. There's so many things we know in our adult lives for sure, right? That we have these patterns and routines that need to be broken. And it's God through Jesus Christ, right? When we submit to that, we give our freedom to him, he's able to free us from that. So we're not subjected to that anymore. The next thing I thought was really cool in that verse was that we have the freedom to be a family member and not just a servant. We get to be family. It's not like he set us free from our, the death and the devil and sin, right? And then told us we can be a slave in his household. That's not what happened. He gave us sonship and daughtership. He made us an heir, equal heirs to what Jesus has up in heaven. All of heaven, right? All the throne, all the gold, all the jewels, all the crowns, everything that's up there. We have equal rights and inheritance when we submit our freedom under God. Not just a slave. Not just a slave. Romans 8, 15, 16 says, For you have not received a spirit of slavery leading again to fear, but you have received a spirit of adoptions as sons by which we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. And lastly, freedom gives us the, the change of heart that we need. So our actions aligns with God's actions, right? Here's a kind of an illustration, right? Let's say that we're in deep financial debt and we realize uh, our desperate state and we strategically start planning a way to get out of debt, right? You kind of work, you kind of get out of it, you kind of put the money where it needs to go, you get disciplined and all that. But then what usually happens six, eight months later after you see somebody get out of debt and they've been in that situation, just tax right back up, right? They go right back in the debt. Why is that? Because it has to change our hearts. If it doesn't change the heart, you're not going to change the action but for a little while. We have to change the heart. And that's what God gives us the freedom. That is the power of really what happens with Jesus. He comes in and he gives us that freedom to have a changed heart, which changes our actions, which changes our thoughts, and frees us. The Bible likens the human heart to a tree. Every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor a diseased tree bear good fruit. For out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. The good man brings good things out of his, out of the good stored up in him, and the evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in him. Out of our heart is where our actions come forth. And in our freedom with Jesus, that is where we get the freedom to change the heart. Romans 6, 17 and 18 says, But thanks be to God that though you used to be slaves to sin, you have come to obey from your heart the pattern of teaching that has now claimed your allegiance. 
You have been set free from sin and become slaves to righteousness. So I go back to my fourth grade story, and I, I thought about it uh, a little bit more through the years, right, as I've had a chance to process it. And I realized something about freedom. Freedom is not me-centered. It's God-centered. True freedom is not me-centered. It's God-centered. When I was standing up in fourth grade saying, yes, let's, let's be able to chew gum, I really wasn't concerned about everybody else's rights and what was good for them, what was good for the teachers, what was the common good for everybody. I was concerned about my own rights. It was me-centered, not God-centered. And you'll love this part. The irony was I went away to college, North Central University here in Minneapolis, and I started on their housekeeping team like almost immediately. And I'm on their housekeeping team, and I get my first assignment, one of my first ones, and guess what it was? I had to go desk to desk in every classroom with a scraper scraping gum off the bottom of those desks. I think we gave up before I ever got it finished. It was like miserable. And yet, I was just, God just has a really kind of funny sense of humor sometimes, doesn't he? He's a good way of teaching us what's going on and what we need. So, I come to the end here, and, and I just want to encourage our teens as we're moving forward, as you're moving, especially the seniors, you're graduating congregation. If you're looking for that freedom and what is true freedom, think about it. Think about what Jesus Christ brings. Maybe, maybe it's the fact, as you, as you think about it, that uh, if you're not saved, you don't know the Lord, there is that possibility that he will bring that freedom. If you submit to him, he'll give you freedom. Freedom from the hell and death and, and what things are to come for that. But if you're living in sin, if there's something that you've been struggling with and you submit to the Lord, I really think he'll give that freedom. Just ask him and keep praying and keep believing and keep working because he sees you as a son or a daughter and able to help. And our teens, I got three reminders for you. Um, don't let your freedom deceive you. Don't be like the Israelites right? We're not slaves. Don't lie to yourself. Go forward, especially when you get a lot of pressure coming in the college and other areas and you are moving forward with your lives. Do not let your freedom make you a slave to sin. I can do this as a Christian. It's okay. I have my freedoms in God. I can chew gum if I want to. Don't let your freedom harden your heart, and I think that's the critical one, because if it doesn't start in the heart, then we really can't change who we are. What will your future freedom look like? What does our current freedom, your freedom as a congregation, as a Christian, look like? Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for all that you've done through Jesus Christ. God, because you said, as in your words, so much, who you set free is free indeed. As sons and daughters, God, we come and we ask right now, Lord, the things that we're struggling with, the things that have blurred our vision. God, if we're delusional in the way that we're thinking, we're lying to ourselves, I pray that you would break that down. And God, that you would truly set us free to live for you, to serve you, God, to be you-centered and not be me-centered. In your name, amen.